0: Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not?" Alright, thank you Abigail. Um, Welcome again. Welcome to Redemption Church Tucson. It's really good to see y'all here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the um, lead pastor here and so um, welcome and again it's really good to meet you. If you've never heard me preach before or you're new, um, I have a stutter so just want to make sure that y'all know what that is. So you're not like what is going on there uh, what's happening so that's all it is it kind of comes in and out a couple things I want to say real quick before um, we keep on um, is Jared had said that, that the giving through it was called easy tide had, um, had ended it actually hasn't yet so we're going to space that out so'll you still have a couple more months to make that switch so don't worry that some crazy will happen if you haven't yet switched over so that'll happen throughout the next couple months but we do encourage you to uh, all those easy ways just you know text email do different things so get that all set up i want to say that also jared mentioned it but if you like couldn't see because you were standing behind the wall of people who stood up uh, let that be an invitation to maybe next week move closer Move in here, okay? So I'm gonna be down here and I will keep coming. I'll jump over seats if I have to, because I'm not gonna be standing way far away from everyone else. Um, so we're gonna get uh, you know, closer, get more intimate um, over the summer. But again, there are a lot of cool things. We have some classes and some different fun things uh, throughout the summer that we'll do. So um, we'll actually talk a little bit more about that next week. So as we start, kind of before we get into it, we're gonna be in Mark chapter 4. I want to just say again, happy Mother's Day to you, to all of our moms. We love you. We are really excited to have a church with a lot of um, young families, with a lot of moms. We have some, some single moms, some different folks here. And I just want to say, as someone who was raised by a single mom, my mom raised four boys by herself. Um, some of you guys have heard she's a tough Woman she was a bartender, she probably if she was here wouldn 't be excited. I told you some miss she actually punched someone when she was a bartender. so raised for boys, tough woman, I love my mom. I love moms. I, we as a church really have a heart for um, just for four moms to come alongside families, specifically, even single moms we, we just want this church to really be a light to the surrounding demographic of the school and and, and, and um, tragically, there are a lot of people who are of think they're just in it alone and, and we want to say that that's not true and and again want to honor moms and, and and are thankful for you glad you're here um we do have a gift for you so if you didn't get it on the way out or you weren't sure about it we have a little succulent um plants i'll admit i didn't know that was the word for like a little cactus that doesn't coke you Until, um, like, just recently, seems like the last couple of words, that word is thrown out all the time. Like, succulent gardens, and you go to Cartel Coffee, and they have a little succulent area, and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, we have one of those. Um, Younger, hipper, cooler people than me put those together. Kelsey uh, Kelsey Collins did that. And so, um, thank you. Um, Take that gift, okay? We have a gift for you, so please take that. I want to also say, this day is really hard for a lot of people. Um, I just talked to someone this mo- morning who actually they lost their mom way too soon, uh, just a number of uh, years ago. And, and uh, he actually said, he said, yeah, you know, whoever, whoever created these days clearly, clearly didn't have to grieve because just these kind of days sometimes just really remind us of, of hardship and of sorrow and of, of loss. We have people in here, moms who have lost their own children and people who have broken relationships with their moms and and i know for us for a long time we these days were really hard because we longed to be parents and we walked through infertility for for years and this day constantly was just a reminder of 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 hardship and sorrow and so what what i want to say okay is this is um this is a reminder of the reality of jesus in a lot of ways, the reality of the kingdom of God is that it's referred to as the here and not yet or the now and not yet. We get to both rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. So if you haven't, if this day is just a celebratory day and you think of brunch and food and sweets and all kinds of good things, that's great. You shouldn't feel guilty. Okay, Let me just say it's never about guilt, whatever the issue, but, but empathy and again, re- reflecting and celebrating Jesus, that we can maybe invite others who are hurting along with us to come out to brunch with us or to do different things with us. So this is a day where we get to rejoice and um, weep and get to just be together and enter into reality together. Okay. So, so again, with that, um, I want to, I want to, I want to pray. I want to pray. If you, if that's you too, by the way, take a plant. Okay. We want you to. Um, you might feel awkward about it. if you know someone who this is hard and they maybe don 't feel like they should get one of those plants, you take it for them and give it to to them okay so with that, let me pray um especially as we get into this passage, which i 'll say even for me as I prepared, it was really hard and really comforting at the same at the same time. And so um, I'm going to pray that God would really lead us and speak to us through this time and and, and specifically in the rejoicing and the mourning together. um, I'm going to pray that the reality that everything obeys Jesus's authority, that that would inform us and define us wherever we're at, coming here, sitting here today. So I'm going to ask the Lord to lead us in that through his word in this time. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we do thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for, um, I don't know, I feel like I have an emotional hurricane going on. Um, Whether it was even we got to read the Nicene Creed and remember um, almost, you know, 2,000 years of your people, Lord, reciting the truth of who you are and that you and your word and your people have gone through every cycle and every up and down of Economy and power and world history and yet you remain the same Lord we are told that, um, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever and, and I pray that right now as we get into your word as we look to you Jesus that we would be reminded that you inform and define our lives in every way Lord, wherever we are when we say all of life is all for Jesus Lord I pray that that that, that, that just spills out into the streets into our real life That uh, it's not something that we just have to say in here and kind of put on a happy face and pretend like we believe it, but can't be real and honest. Lord, I pray that we can come authentically as we are and yet still not unchanged or defined and informed by the good news of you, Lord Jesus, who you are, what you've done, what you are doing and your authority. Lord, we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to get into Mark chapter 4. If you'll go ahead and meet me there, Mark 4, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, hold your hand up, please. Hold it up high and keep it up. Somebody will get you one. See, necesitas en español, tenemos. So if you prefer the Bible in Spanish, I can't preach in Spanish. Sorry, I wish I could. Um, but we have some Bibles in Spanish. So just ask for that. Say that and you'll get one in Spanish. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, keep this one. It's our gift to you. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible. They can read and, and, and go along with. Okay, so, um, so with that, um, meet me. We're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 35. So let's, let's read God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Okay, so... This is a bit of an intro, all right? Let me just kind of bring us all up to speed on where we've been um, in order to get into this really potent, little short, like six or so verses of scripture. That's a, somewhat of an intro. So if you're, you haven't been with us, we're walking through the gospel according to Mark. And the main point, the main message of this is good news. It starts, the good news the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus himself um, is presented. It says, God the Son, Almighty God is presented. The King is coming. And Jesus says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven. That, that um, term is used interchangeably. The kingdom is here, is coming, is present. And then the followers and the people who are in this, kind of the characters are invited to ask, do you follow Jesus? Will you respond to Him? Do you see Him? Is what He's saying good news? And then you and I as the audience and the people who originally read this are invited to ask, who is Jesus and do you follow? Do you believe this? Do you believe that He is God the Son, that He is the King and that He has come Bring his kingdom. Do you believe this is good news? And a lot of the people in this are like, Yes, I think, kind of, maybe. Wait, who, who, what, who, (laughs) like, because constantly Jesus has come and he's like, The king is here, and they're like, Awesome, we know what the king's supposed to do, and then Jesus. And his own authority starts doing some things that they're like, wait, 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 wait. That's not what our version of the king and his kingdom is supposed to look like. Not so sure. And his own family even calls him crazy at some points. And, and his followers start to be like, not sure what to make of him. And then just before this, he starts to teach for the first time. He teaches and he's in the helm of a boat and i had a picture but um, i actually um wasn't able to make it all work but he's standing in a boat like in the helm of a boat if you can picture in like a cove in the sea of galilee and there's a natural amphitheater so a big hill of grass so like you're all in the natural amphitheater and you're kind of up on this hill and scientists israeli scientists have even done some tests today that shows that someone there speaking in a, in a normal kind of conversational voice, not even as loud as I'm doing right now, because I have a microphone, but just speaking in a conversational voice, that this natural amphitheater would enable people, like a lot of people in the hills, to hear Jesus' teaching. Okay, so he's standing in a boat teaching, and he just, we looked at last week, he taught in parables, which parables were... Um, were kind of stories with an intended purpose that basically true followers of Jesus, those who said, yes, Jesus, God the Son, I want to follow you, would lean in and would understand and would understand more of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and his kingdom. And they would, they would understand and would ask questions to understand more. But people who had their own version of Jesus and just wanted to kind of fit him into life would actually be more and more confused. So Jesus taught in these parables to basically expose there's no happy medium with Jesus, right? You can't just sprinkle some Jesus into your life and go on and add him in. Then it's kind of all or nothing. Either your life is surrendered to him and his authority and you're a true follower or, or you're not and you're just more and more confused as life goes on. Okay, so that's what's been happening. That kind of brings us up to speed. And so it says here, on that day, so evening comes, he had just got done teaching And then um, the author of this is Mark, who is is likely the, uh, the, the assistant to one of Jesus' closest followers, the Apostle Peter, who was there for all the stuff that Jesus did. He's actually a primary character in this. And so the source of this book is none other than Peter himself. And Mark, who was also a witness to a lot of these events, is hearing this from Peter, and he witnessed a lot of this himself, and he writes down, and I, I love this, we might not notice it, but in some of the things that we just read, some clues are given that are like really specific details, it's just another reminder, like, this stuff really happened, we're really there, and so it says, you know, um, the, the disciples said, um, le- let's go, and they, they, they left the crowd, and, and it just happens to say we were in the boat, and there were other boats, So it's not just his inner circle, these 12, but other people in boats, and they go to leave. And then it says, a storm came up. And and so a storm, let me just explain this too, because I've actually been here. I've been to the Sea of Galilee before my sophomore year of college. I got to go there. And um, it's not a sea, like it's not salt water. It's a lake, like a big lake. And you look at it, and again, if, if you could see a picture of it or if you ever have it doesn't look it's kind of deceivingly um big it looks smaller than it actually is and so you stand there like oh it's a lake and me being an arrogant you know 19 year old thought I could swim I could swim out pretty far into this thing and and I was there and we ate the fish and hung out and we're like oh let's go swim in the sea and I went out and thought oh there's a there's something out there was like a landmark and I thought I would go up there and swim out to it and again thought I was I could do it able-bodied and I got out there and and pretty quickly I was like scared like I literally was like trying to tread water and looking up and like where is that thing anyway and then I could see some land but wasn't so sure it was the land that I had left and it was just kind of all of a sudden like this thing is bigger than I thought it was because honestly I thought at first like really the storm happened here like what's the big deal you could just go across it but it's a, it's a big body of water and not just that storms came that people actually call like Hurricanes, or actually the Arabic word for the storms that would happen over the Sea of Galilee, translates to mean shark, because it would just come upon you rapidly, like all of a sudden you would be there, and this, and this, um, this, 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 like a shark would just come out of nowhere and would kind of catch you off guard. So why is that? Well, just again, some history for us to know: the Sea of Galilee sits about seven hundred feet below sea level. Okay. So it's, it's really low. It's, it's, and it's it's 700 feet below sea level and just 30 miles to the North is Mount, um, Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon. And it's, um, it goes up to over 9,000 feet. And so I'm not a meteorologist. I, told you last week i'm not a farmer or don't know that much i don't know a lot about the weather either but as i understand that the high and low pressures in those areas from 700 feet below to um so there's like a 10,000 foot difference in a short area that those winds would come and those those low and high pressures would meet and just create sudden crazy storms like hurricanes like these massive storms would come and so these people his followers are there okay they're in the boat Jesus is just in teaching. That's some of the history, some of the backdrop. And it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking in the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Again, that's just a little detail. I love it. There's a cushion there, right? They didn't have to say that. Who, no one, they don't say what color or what the, the, the pattern was, but Jesus is there sleeping on a cushion, I love Jesus. Isn't he cool? I mean, these other guys, manly men, fishermen, they're freaking out. There's this storm. Jesus, I picture his, maybe his arms are back. He's got his feet up on the, on the stern. He's just rocking in the storm. He's sleeping. And his people come up, and what do they do? Awe and reverence, right, to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Almighty Jesus. No, they go, Jesus! Like they shake him. What are you doing? There's a sleep. There's a storm. You're sleeping. Do you not care that we are perishing? Again, revealing, Jesus, we don't really get who you are. They've already seen all these miracles. They've seen Jesus heal things. They've seen Jesus raise someone from the dead. But the reality is, for these people and for you and me, when storms come, we forget what we otherwise know. We're rattled. We're looking for answers. We look to the Jesus we thought we knew and we thought we understand and we say, what? what's going on? Don't, don't you care about us? We're perishing. The, um, something important for us to know, whenever we read the Bible, okay, listen to me, it's like this. We're reading someone else's mail. Okay, this is God's word written to us, to you and me. It's, it's inerrant, without error. It's profitable. He's speaking to us, to you and me, right now in 2015. But it was written in a particular historical context to a particular people. So in order for us to rightly understand what he's saying to us right now, we need to do the hard work of understanding what is being said to the original audience. Okay, that's just a little helpful tip whenever you're reading God's Word. Well, let me tell you. These words... Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Would speak directly to the hearts of the original audience of this letter. It needs to speak to our hearts. And so let's understand where these people were coming from. Well, as I said, Mark wrote this account. And his primary audience he had in mind were Christians, like you and me, gathering together to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Still being challenged with that question, Who is Jesus, and how do you respond to him? Does who he says he is inform how you live your lives? When it's right now, it's easy, we're in air conditioning, it's cool. Yeah, sure. No problem. Well, the original audience right now was the church in Rome, which was under insane persecution. Emperor Nero... The, the, the Roman emperor of his time, historically, is known as one of the craziest people to ever live. He, he, was, he was a nut. And he, he would decorate his garden with burning Christians. There was incredible, terrible persecution closing in on the people of God. So being asked that question, who is Jesus and how do you respond to him? Does his authority define your life? they would be asking that question. I don't know. Do you not care about us? We're we're perishing here. It's not so easy, Jesus, to follow you. It's not so easy to wear a cross around our neck. It's not so easy to raise my hands in worship and sing songs of adoration to you. My neighbor is burning in a garden right now. Do you care? We're asking that same question today. Thankfully, most of us in this room will never know that kind of persecution. Perhaps some of us do know people. There are other Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, around the world right now, if you followed the news, who do face this kind of persecution beheading, burning, um, lo- lo- loss of job, loss of uh, so- societal status, all sorts of trouble. But for us, even here in this room, it's a different context, but the reality is we're asking that same question, right? Jesus, do you care? I'm facing some kind of trouble and I'm wondering if you care. And if you do care, are you able to do anything about it? Statistically, um, about, about over 40, let me get this right here, I think it's over 40 million people in the U.S., will be impaired by some form of anxiety this year. Some kind of anxiety that kind of cripples you, that causes you to question. Over 40 million people in the U.S. this year will face or will be impaired by some kind of anxiety like that. I I guarantee every single person in this room, either yourself or someone you know and love, is walking through some form of anxiety. Right? We live in America, 2015, we have smart everything, we have every kind of medicine, we have everything, and yet still this reality plagues us. Some of my best friends, a member of my own family who I love dearly, I have seen her like, have waves of panic come over and she can hardly breathe. This is a reality. So let me just say, we're going to spend some time here, okay? We're going to kind of hunker down here for a bit, because it's such a real um, uh, thing that we're walking through right now, because it's so applicable to our daily lives. We're going to spend some time here looking at anxiety, looking at worry, in order to rightly understand the power and authority of Jesus, so it's not just words I'm up here saying, so it really hits home. We're going to spend some time here. And let me say as I do, though, I'm not a doctor of any kind. I'm not a physical doctor, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a, um, a, a, a counseling doctor. I want to recognize that um, there are anxiety conditions and orders and things that I don't understand. I in way want to flippantly say something that just kind of writes off the reality of these kinds of things. Okay, so I don't speak on that kind of authority, but I do speak on the absolute authority that I am 100% confident that the person and authority of Jesus is meant to inform absolutely everything, absolutely every fiber of our lives. Okay, so as we come here, I want to I wanna say that, that God is the great physician. Some have called him the great cardiologist. No one understands the human heart better than God. All things were made through him, And for him. So I come and I do want to challenge us though to consider is my life defined or at least informed by the person and work and authority of Jesus? So, anxiety, let's look at this together. A definition I took from all kinds of sources, the Mayo Clinic and Wikipedia, and you know, equally authoritative, different places that speak on such things. But, but just a kind of a de- definition that seemed to be saying all the same things was this. This is anxiety. Anxiety is an unpleasant state of inner turmoil. That seems like a gross understatement for anyone who's walked through anxiety. But still, it's an unpleasant state of inner turmoil, often accompanied by nervous behavior, such as pacing back and forth. It is the subjectively unpleasant feelings of dread over anticipated events. Anxiety is the expectation of future threat. Okay, that's just real. Right? That's what that's anxiety. A lot of people walk through this and experience this. Well, conventional wisdom and practices right now, if you were to go to someone, if you were to kind of learn some things other than taking medicine, which we don't frown upon or say is always a negative or anything, but the reality for a lot of people, what they'll hear, is something along the lines of, Imagine a happier tomorrow. Okay, even as we had said here, it said um, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an imagined or it's the expectation of future threat. So it's often not a real future threat. It's an imagined future threat. So, so conventional wisdom says just kind of basically think happier thoughts. You don't know if that potentially bad thing will happen, so don't even think about it. Just think about a potentially better tomorrow. And I recognize it with my tone and what I'm saying. I'm creating somewhat of a sh- straw man, right? But still, I think that's ba- that's not the advice that the Bible gives. I think that's bad advice because I, I want to call that the ostrich approach. Okay, if you know an ostrich, what I don't know any ostriches, but what I've heard <laughs> is that ostriches, when they're facing trouble, they put their head in the sand, right? Imagine a happier tomorrow. Pretend that lion's not there. Put your head in the sand. Well, you've just become an easier meal for the lion, right? Like, it doesn't change anything. You've, you've, you're acting like it's not there, but it, it really is. So the good news of Jesus is not pretend that that won't happen. It's this. Even if that happens, look to the good news of who Jesus is. Look to his authority so again as we kind of dig into this a bit more i just want to look at um where anxiety comes from what's going on in our hearts when we ask that same question when we say teacher jesus do you not care that we are perishing we ask that same question where does that come from well saint augustine i'm actually going to quote a saint from of old and a new saint Um, St. Augustine, who is explained by an author and a a pastor, Timothy Keller, who I quote all the time, um, they they say these things. So Tim Keller explains what Augustine said. So Augustine's definition of anxiety is this. He says, here's where anxiety comes from. All of us have good things in our lives and we love them. We desire them. Good things. Parents and children are good things. A career is a good thing. Romance is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. All sorts of things are good things. We have lots of good things in our lives. But sometimes good things, which are finite, become ultimate things. Good things that we love our families, the desire to be a mother or a father, parents, relationships, our bank accounts, our, our homes, our, our imagined future. All these things are good things. But Augustine says where anxiety at its root comes from is when those things define us. When something that is infinite, that by nature cannot exist forever, so is therefore vulnerable, when that becomes the object and the source of our hope, in any way, anxiety comes up. Or Tim, Tim, Timothy Keller kind of expounds on it by saying this. Anything but God and his will is vulnerable, but nothing can take God away from you. Now you're furious, but anything else you set your heart on like this can be taken away. When there's a threat to it, you go to pieces. Okay, again, let me just explain this to us, okay? It's a good thing. If you're going through hardship, if Mother's Day is hard for you, if you are facing the loss of a home or a job or a loved one or an identity or a physical ability or whatever it might be, don't be ashamed that you're sorrowful about that or that there's some element of worry that shows care, But, but do recognize whether or not that is the absolute source of your hope. If this thing is taken away, I will crumble. As Tim Keller said, I'll go to pieces. Uh, As a parent, I I love my kids so much. Yeah, I care about them. I'm not going to let them go out in the street and play. But on some level, as hard as it is to say, I have to recognize if they were taken away in some way, would that be the end of me? If so, The ostrich approach makes a lot of sense. Like, don't even think about that, right? Even saying that is so uncomfortable. But God loves us too much to just say, imagine that it won't ever happen. Because what happens if it really does? Where are we when that really happens? What kind of hope? We're just playing church if we say, yeah, pretend it's not going to happen. But then what? But the good news of Jesus is even if it does, there's good news. He's in control. He loves you. He's present. So we look to him. In the middle of the storm, we're so prone to forget what we already know. But the good news of Jesus is that he calls us to stand on who he is and what he's done and the promises he has made. So that in the storm, we're called to remember. But let me tell you, looking to Jesus might not change the circumstance, but it will always change your perspective. Oh, that's good news. And so what does Jesus do? Actually, let me me just share a couple of stories with you, Kay, just to let this sink in. Um, And just so I can cry some more. Um... (laughs) A couple of uh, a couple of men, missionaries. Okay, there are a lot of different stories that we could share. A lot of different things. But as I read this and looked into this, a couple of missionaries' um, stories that I read, I just want to share with you that, that are amazing. One man, an English missionary, left with another group of missionaries in the late eighteen hundreds or in the in the mid eighteen hundreds. eighteen fifty one. Allen. Gardner from England left on a ship with a number of other missionaries to go carry the good news of Jesus throughout the world. The the reality of the cross defined their lives. What we're talking about here defined their lives. They did say, yes, Jesus is Lord and I give him my life and I'm going to go and tell that story to the world. It was real. And so they left on a ship, right? A good thing. We're giving you our lives, Jesus. We surrender to you. And uh, they, their ship wrecked, and they, and they landed on an island, a deserted island. And this was before smartphones and GPS. So they sat there wondering if they would ever be found, if, if the people looking for them would come and find them. And so they tried to survive on that island by themselves, eating different things and trying to drink different stuff. And just imagine, I mean, day in and day out, trying to survive. Well, guess what? None of them did. Not a single one. They all died on that island. And eventually they were found, but without life in them. And this one man, Alan Gardner, was found laying dead next to his, his uh, journal. And in that journal, he had quoted a psalm and he said this. He said, he, he, he said, they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Thirsty, dying, his tongue swelling starving to death a horrible way to die and guess what the last words he wrote were i am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of god the very last thing he wrote was that or in another missionary perhaps some of you have heard of jim elliot he died in 1956 and he and his friends went to ecuador with their wives and they went some of you may have seen the movie the end of the spear, and it explains this story very well. Well, they went to Ecuador, and they had this whole process and this whole plan about how they would carry the good news of Jesus to those who had never heard. They would meet them. They would extend the right hand of fellowship, and they would say, Have you heard of this good news? Have you heard that, that the kingdom of God is coming? That the almighty God himself is come and has put himself on the cross so that you don't have to strive and you can have life. And the good news is, He's come to make all things new. And you can place your faith in Him. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear tribal war. You you can put your trust in Him, and your sins can be forgiven, and you can have eternal life. And they were going to share that message with these people. And the night before, they were going to land their small plane and, and and embrace these people who'd never met civilized people, who'd never heard the gospel. They, they sat around the table with their wives and their children, and they sang a hymn. I've never heard this hymn, so I can't sing it for you, and you should be happy about that. But they sang these words, We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Our shield and our defender. And guess what happened? As they went out to extend the right hand of fellowship to these people, before they got to say any of the good news, they got spears through their hearts, and they died. And, and Jim Elliot's wife, Elizabeth Elliot, would go around and would share this story and would preach the gospel. Someone who lost her own husband would say, was that not true? We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Was that not true? Did God not, not live out his part of the deal? Was he not their shield or defender? Because they died. And she says, no. Absolutely not. God proved true. He is their shield and their defender. Because other words in that, in that hymn say, our righteousness is found in you, Lord Jesus. And the, the reality of the power of God that can, that, can, that can lay the foundation for all of life in any circumstance, that rang true. That's what compelled these men to go and to willingly, gladly lay down their lives. That's why these women don't look at God and shake their hands at Him and say, you took our husbands from us because they know, God, you indeed are our shield and our defender, not just with our heads stuck in the sand, hoping the worst doesn't happen, but in any circumstance. And so what does Jesus do? He stands up and with his voice, he says, peace, be still, be calm. Again, for the original audience and for you and me, we need to, we need to sit there for a minute. Jesus, with his voice, said, be still, and the storm was calmed. I could demonstrate for you all right now. I'm not going to, but I don't have a lot of power with my voice, right? My kids sometimes respect me and sometimes do what I say. My dog normally does more than them. Certainly not a storm and certainly not Harry. Alright? Like, you think Siri's a good thing? Yeah, try having a speech impediment and trying to, you know, command something that's really cruel and heartless. And I'll say to Siri, actually, do you guys want to see, we're, it's, we're having fun here. <laughs> Call Kira. That's my wife's name. What is your wife's name? <laughs> Call Kyra. Calling Kira Gophany. the mockery Siri I hate you seriously like that's not that's cruel okay I have no authority with my voice like an electronic device in my pocket doesn't respect me but Jesus with the words of his mouth says be still and that calms the storm immediately the same language is used when he faces demons he says be quiet shut your mouth and they have to obey. It More literally, he puts a muzzle on it and it's quiet. With the words of his voice, he quiets the storm. He rebukes the storm. And then he turns to his followers and he asks this question. He says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obeying who is this they were filled with fear let me say this their fear didn't stop but was transferred they wrongly feared the storm this hurricane that just blew up out of the blue and then they rightly had their eyes fixed on jesus and a whole new kind of fear came in awe a wonder who is this, Jesus? I thought you fit on a t shirt. Jesus, I thought you fit on a bumper sticker. I thought you fit on a little wristband that reminds me to be a good little boy. What would Jesus do? I thought you were just my example. You're, you're a lot more than I have diminished you to, than I've, the role I have relegated you to in my life. You're so much more. And perhaps with harsh rebuke, yet also with encouragement and invitation. Jesus says, have you still no faith? Do you still not see who I am? Let me say the people here, his followers, really couldn't. Right? They haven't yet fully seen the most clear demonstration of the power of God. They've seen Jesus cure some people. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him heal the sick and exercise authority over the Sabbath and teach with profound wisdom, but they haven't seen the most clear demonstration of the power and the character of God, the one that you and I have seen, the one that this early Roman church had seen, that can indeed give us the strength and the confidence in any circumstance to look to Jesus, the cross. The power of God most clearly displayed, yes, Saying, peace be still to a storm is great. Some of us might think, yeah, if I could see that, then I would have faith in Jesus. Well, we don't have to see that. We get to look to an even greater display, the cross, where Almighty God can undo the effect of sin that has absolutely plagued every aspect of life. Sin, the fact that we individually and corporately have turned our backs on God, we have said, no thanks God, we don't want your rule, we don't want your power. We've chosen something completely else. And, and brokenness, and the holocaust, and sin, and prejudice, and people dying too young, and pain, and sorrow, and all these things came crashing into the world and in so many ways defines our lives. And in one foul swoop, God Almighty put that to death on the cross. And his good character is also displayed because he didn't do it in some other way than taking it on himself. Then God the Son, he who knew no sin, became sin, so that those who have faith in him might become the righteousness of God. Though we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way, on him God has laid the iniquity of us all. And then as we talked about on Easter, Jesus victoriously rose from the dead. The greatest display, the cross and the tomb of the power and the good character of God. So, as we close, I just want to ask us all how do we respond? Do you understand the good news that, as one author and pastor says, Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control, Jesus is glorious, so you don't have to be afraid. What if that defined your life? What if in the place of deepest sorrow and pain and tragedy, that were true? What if with tears rolling down our face, both rejoicing and mourning simultaneously, we look to Jesus and we respond to Him in worship and in prayer, defined by Him, by His power? The question that He asks is, still do you have no faith? And the invitation that I give to all of us, is will you respond to the love of Jesus calling you to trust in Him for faith, for salvation one time and then for hope every moment of every second of every day from there on out. So as I do pray, I'm going to pray for us and I want to encourage you, we're going to all pray. We, we, as Jared said at the beginning and he will say again here, we're going to be invited to pray. And I want to encourage you to come and pray. Let's be a praying church Pray for one another. If the line is too long, ask someone, hey, can you pray for me? I need prayer for this. For, se- for anything seemingly small or seemingly great, let's pray together and come together, rejoicing and weeping, responding to the name and the power and the authority of Jesus. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Father, um, man, what an emotional whirlwind you seem to have us on. Um, Lord, your word is indeed sharper than any two-edged sword. You do um, call us, Lord, to, 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 to take our head out of the sand. You, 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 you pierce our hearts, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here who maybe wanted to just ignore the pain for a day, Lord, I pray that they would know that you love them too much for that. Lord, you don't allow us to just numb the pain with substance or... Um, any other kind of thing that we might try to put a a band-aid on our hearts for. But Lord, you surgically enter in. Lord, you allow us to weep and to ask questions and to be sad. And yet you inform, you define through the person and work of Jesus. And so I pray now that we would rightly respond, however you would have us, or that we would respond to the power and the name and the goodness of Jesus. In whose name I pray. Amen.